a monumental interview with the first family of country music, Carlene Carter, Dale Wiley Show, and MissouriMusicPodcast.com. And I now I am live with Carlene Carter. It's so exciting to have you here. I'm so glad to be visited with you. How are you, Carlene? I'm doing great. I'm glad to see you and glad to be here. Yes, and we we solved the one problem we had, and now we're talking, and it's so wonderful. And <laughs> yes, so- it is good. You did sound a little like a rattlesnake. When you <laughs> Yes, that's so strange because I thought it was a good feature and it was a good feature and we solved it. And so I'm so happy to be here talking to you because, number one, I really think that so much of the stuff that I'm doing is so related to your music and your family's music. And so let's start by talking about your grandma, Maybell. Okay. Yes. Okay. I can talk about grandma all day long. Well, tell me. We got all day. Uh, I've got a million grandma stories, but she was she was my favorite human when I was a kid, particularly right. uh, because I was her first granddaughter. Wow! She had, and then in short order, she had two more, which was right. uh, Rosie and Lori. Right. So we always joke, Lori and I, saying when Grandma would holler for us, she would go, "Car, roll, Lori." <laughs> <laughs> she talk, go to call Lori. Or say something to Lori and call her Caro Lore. <laughs> she was well, a, a, she was really something, and um, she loved music, of course, and uh, that filtered down into just about everything around her. Um, she loved games. Yeah, she had a she had a drive in her, but I can't say it was the same sort of ambition drive that my mom had. Yes. Um, she was really, uh, she was so, un, uh, she was so humble and had really no idea what kind of impact right. the music that she had started with had made on the world, basically. Yes, and, entirely the world. Yeah. And I think that she loved hanging out with other musicians and picking and, you know, and of course she had built in uh, per- girls to sing everything she right. heard in her head, yes. you know, <laughs> so um but being her granddaughter was was quite an education because she had raised these three girls and kept them ni- ni- nicely pressed and presentable um, right, for back the world. In the day. And, yes. you know, they used to not even know how she did it. But she she got to do that with me a little bit and she got to groom me. <laughs> um, we've had the talk. We had the talk when I was oh, really you did. Wow. The talk was you do realize now that when we're all gone, which seemed forever to me because I was right. a kid, that you will, it's your responsibility to carry on the music of the Carter family and add to it as well. And so that has stuck with me and I've really tried my best, like in, particularly in the last 15 years, I've really kind of devoted right. myself to keeping that that flame really going and, um, and it's also because I never felt uh, that I, I didn't feel the need to go make a Carter family kind of album at the right. time while they were uh, while Mom and Helen and Nita were still alive. And um, I know it was very hard for for me when Grandma died because it was when my first album came out and I dedicated it to her. Oh, and yeah. I so wanted her to see me play with a band, oh, and yeah. she never really got to do that. So, yeah. Well. Also, did how how much did you know Sarah and AP? 
I knew my aunt Sarah quite well. Um, she had moved from the valley by the time you right. know, I was old enough to remember. Um, right. I remember when Uncle AP died. I think I was five or something like that. Okay. Um, but I I don't really remember Uncle AP other than he was a nervous man, and and that's <laughs> documented a lot of places. But I actually do remember that he paced around a lot and right. was a, had a little bit of a, a shiver to him. Wow. Um, but my aunt Sarah, she lived out in California, and her and uh, the man she'd married, who was AP, AP and granddaddy's cousin, Coy Bays. <laughs> Honey, you got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she they had this funny kind of like uh, roadside attraction place that people would come by and stop and see, and it was some sort of frog land. Okay. For some reason, she had a million kinds of ceramic frogs placed all over this property. And really? we went through and saw all these things. And uh, ironically, later in life, my sister Rosie collected frogs. And I really? said, do you, realize, do you remember that because of Aunt Sarah? And she goes, no, I just like them. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wild. Yeah. And so anyway, I mean... The fa your family's music has so much influence. And so next, tell me about your mom. My mom. Yes. She was, okay. She was my world. I thought my mom hung the moon. Uh-huh. Makes me think maybe she did. Not quite sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure yes. She, um, she was, we were really close and very, very close friends as I became an adult. Right. Um, and my daughter became almost like her daughter right. because I had my daughter so young. So there right. was like this whole generational thing happening of us growing up still while I was a mom. <laughs> and ah. So I had my mom and she, she was the mom that came to school when I was in grade school and would come with her banjo and her petticoats. And her really? On. Yeah. Wow. Would come to my class and with when, and do her whole act for my class. Well, now, really? now did you like that or hate that as a kid? It was cringeworthy, you know, in like <laughs> third grade. It's like, ah. oh my God. You know, and then I was in fourth grade. She kept coming to the same, same place. <laughs> and um, she come, she came all the way up until I, I went to junior high and I was just like, we got to stop this stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, but I was also at the same time, I was super proud of her. Right. And when they, when she would be on the Opry, um, on Fridays and Saturday nights, uh, Rosie and I, we had this old transistor radio. Um, I mean, it was old. It was electric. So I don't know if you call it a transistor, but it was a tube radio. Right. And it was in my mom's bedroom on the on the lower part of a, a piece of furniture. And we used to sit on the floor cross-legged like Indians and listen to her. But what we would listen for was the jingles that she wrote for the Opry, like okay. Mark White, Self-Rising Flower, okay. or all these different things. And she'd say, now I'm writing this little this little thing. I'm writing a little comedy skit to go with it. Because if I do that, I get $50 extra. Wow. Yeah, which we, Rosie and I were like, oh, $50, man. That's, that's <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, so that was the thing about my mom. It's like she, she never met a stranger. She could fit into any kind of right. situation. Adaptability was really great and she would always carry a certain amount of class with her um she was worldly and very well read she's a smart uh -huh. woman well tell me about when did she go to to act in new york when was that that was when i was a baby 
Okay. Uh, my dad and her had broken up pretty much. They had started breaking up when mom was pregnant with me. Okay. And, um, yeah, I know. I don't ever remember them being together. I have one. Memory really? Just, I, I don't remember them ever being uh, my parents other than separately. Yes. And, and in that came my stepdad and my stepmom. And so I always say I had the two best sets of parents that any girl could ever dream of. I love my stepmother, Goldie Hill. Yes, um, she's wonderful. And your and your dad stayed married for her for so long. I, yes, I love they got married in uh, 19, uh, maybe it was 57, uh -huh. uh, late 57. And mom got married in 57. So I had two sisters born in the same week of each other. Wow. Uh, I know, it's crazy. And uh, so Rosie, my sister Rosie, from my second stepdaddy, my first stepdaddy. So it was my daddy, then my first stepdaddy, then sure. Johnny daddy. Right. And um, <laughs> yeah, a they, lot of bad stuff. Yeah. Were, anyway, so I had Laura Lynn, who's my Smith sister, and they were the same age, and they they couldn't be more different. My two sisters, my really? two little sisters. How yeah. so? Well, uh, Rosie and I were big time tomboys, you know, right. we were always building fires in the woods and climbing uh, <laughs> trees. And, you know, we, we were growing up with a bunch of boy cousins and that's what we, we played baseball. We didn't play softball, right? baseball. And, um, you know, and then I would go to my dad's and I had this really, what I would call a lot more down to earth, not as Gypsy life is my life with mom. <laughs> I can see that. You know what I mean? And because daddy, daddy would go to work and he kept his work very much away from the family. It's like, I don't know that he, I don't know if he did it really super intentionally, uh, but my sister and my two brothers from daddy and Goldie, they all can sing, but they, right. they've never pursued a career in it. Wow. And I think, that daddy set something in them that made them think it was not good. Cause he used to say to me, you're going to be tired of this one day. Like I did. God, I said, I'm sure I will, but I'm, I have to work dad. I don't know what you're well, but let's make sure that everybody knows who that dad is. Carl, Carl Smith, Smith was a yes. major Opry star and major, major heartthrob to say the word in the fifties. And yes. so, and so tell me about him a little bit. Well, you know, he was a hit maker. He really was. Right. He had, uh, I think, 40 top 10 records. Right. And at one point, he had two two songs in the top five at the same time. Uh -huh. You know, he was like, he was like, the I don't want to call him the George Strait of. Right. But, but he, but he, <laughs> he was, was a big deal. Yeah. And he was, uh, he knew the game. He knew. He appealed to so many people. He appealed to men because he was a manly guy. Right. And he and he dressed to the nines in all those nudie suits. And right. <laughs> he was he was cool and sexy and handsome, so handsome and fun. Right. And you know, he and mom together on stage were hilarious. I'm sure they were. There was were. always some no something going on between them that maybe <laughs> some other people knew about, but there's one time I watched this show where my mom, this is after it came out that daddy was seeing Goldie and right. mom and daddy were still kind of together. Uh -huh. And um, she, she had to introduce Goldie and 
I saw the episode where she has to introduce Goldie, and you can see the pain and sadness in my mom's eyes, and you right. can also see the a bit of shame and and stuff from Goldie. Like this is weird. I mean, right. This is just weird. <laughs> but you know, I think they all kind of like um, they got through it, and you know, life goes on. And but my my um. Where was I at? at now, now I was talking oh, about Daddy, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so he so he had had this career, and and it was very successful. And he would go to the airport, and he would tell the kids, "I'm going, I'm going to going to work." And he would they'd say, "Where are you going?" He said, "I'm going to the airport." And so when my little brother was in school, they had a, a theme one day where they asked all the kids in class, "What does your dad do?" <laughs> my brother says, "He works at the airport." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But before I forget, I'm trying to cover everything with you. And so tell me about the time. There was first the border radio stations, and then you guys came to Springfield, actually. The Carter family did. And yeah. so tell me about, what do you remember about Springfield? Well, I know that was before well, you. I wasn't alive yet. I, I wasn't alive. Yeah. But was tell me about the border radio thing. That is so interesting. The border radio thing was they, uh, Del Rio, Texas was right. right on the border and they had this huge wattage thing that broadcast huge all over America. I mean, all over the world. Everything. Yes. They were listening to it in, in war times and stuff. And right. there was, uh, you know, they put together a little show. Aunt Sarah was there part of the time. Uh, right. Jeanette and Joe were there part of the time. That's Sarah's kids. Right. And, um, but Mama Helen and Nita were the little uh, the little girls, and they sang like bells. You know, they just right these little sang like bells. And uh, and Aunt Nita was a really really small girl playing an upright bass. She was like I think she started when she was four or five on this on a on a, uh, a soft drink crate. Right. You know, standing up with her little petticoats on. And Junie, little Junie Carter was. That was kind of like her own thing because she always had to have her own thing. Since she yes. wasn't like the best singer or the best musician, right. Anita and Helen were really, really good singers and musicians. Kind My mom thing. was too. But yes. when you've got Anita Carter and Helen Carter, it's pretty hard to beat. Yes. You know, so she mom took the center center of their thing to um, to be the front person kind right. of. And then she'd get them to talk, and they they would talk too. And um, but that was they were really on still. And then they went, they moved to St. Joe, not St. Joe, to Springfield. Right. And during that time, I do believe that's when they met. Uh, they were they were they went back there again, and they met uh, Becky Bowman, who okay. was my godmother, and was there when I was born. And that's why my wow. name is Rebecca Carlene. That's so funny. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. So I got I got Missouri roots, and um, <laughs> you definitely do. Yeah, I do, and I've got I got some friends in Nashville that are from Missouri that are songwriters, such as uh, who? Uh, uh, Steve yes. Williams. Steve Williams. Oh yes. You know who he is? I do. I know him. Yes. The Red know Redneck Yacht Club. Yes. You know that song? Yeah, he wrote. That was a big hit. He's written uh, quite a few hits, but he, he and I and his wife, are we were very good friends, and we go boating a lot on the lake. Right. <laughs> well, the yacht club. <laughs> <That's wonderful. laughs> there's, okay. there's pluses to moving back to Tennessee, for sure. Definitely. And so 
first of all, your solo career. I am so impressed with all the stuff you've done, but let's talk about how you started recording and how you connected with Guy Clark and Susanna Clark. Well, my at the time that I met them, um, I was married to a songwriter named Jack Rue. Okay. And we had had a son, and right. Jack got around. He met people. He had met Guy somehow <laughs> somewhere along the way, and right. he, and Guy was making a record, invited us to come down to the studio and hang out, which we did. And right. that's when I first met Susanna, and her and I became fast friends. And right. and through that, I met. Um, her, her and I wrote a song together. Wonderful song. Easy from now on. And and all of this happened in a very short time. Right wow. after um, Guy finished his album, uh, Emmy Lou, when he's getting close to finishing, Emmy Lou came to town. And Susanna right. calls me and says, Hey, can you come down to the studio right now? And I'm like, Well, I got <laughs> the kid, you know, I got the kids and stuff. And she's, she said, no, just figure out something and get down here because Emmy Lou's here and I want you to play this song that we wrote to her because she wow. didn't know how to play it. Um, and Susanna was the wordsmith, you know, she was really right. good at that. She was great at mel melodies and stuff. She just never bothered to, she she wanted me to play it. Anyway, right. so I go down there and I was, I had never met Emmy before and right. I was told, she was like one of my absolute uh Oh my yeah, wife. my God! She, she was my girl, and right. the fact that I became friends with her for all these years and still, still am, I that just is to me is, is unbelievable because right. she was like my hero. So I go in there and I'm really nervous, and Emmy's like sitting down, uh, kind of cross-legged on the floor or something, uh -huh. and I'm and I'm I'm sitting in a chair and I'm above her and I feel really weird. <laughs> and I'm singing this song and she goes, "That is such a good song." Right. I'm going to record that on my next record. And wow. my entire life changed right there. It just it just took off her. Um, by hanging out with them, I met Rodney Crowell during that right. time. And uh, I met Hank DeVito. I met all the hot band, pretty right. much. And through that, I through it, Rodney and Emmy Lou were managed by Ed, Ed Tickner. Right. And um, who was back from Graham Parsons days and all that. Right. And sure. He, he took a an interest in me and started taking me around to see people at big events like at Warner Brothers parties. And he'd say, uh -huh. "We're going to go up this party, and we're just going to go around and and I just when people start asking who you are, then we're going to leave." And I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Whatever he did, it worked uh -huh. because they were like, "Who is that? Who is that? You know? I mean, I'm really young." got hair down to my waist. I right. apparently can sing and, and write songs. I had no idea what I was doing, to be honest. <laughs> and you think I would know a lot more about it. I've actually admitted to myself that I, I didn't freaking know what I was doing. Right. I just thought <laughs> I was going to be a songwriter and, you know, and that's what's always driven me so much is to be a songwriter. Now, I, you know, I, I don't write as much anymore, right. but it is my favorite thing. And I've come to understand that I write songs for my own mental health. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so tell me about those first couple of albums, because how did how did everything change around the time of musical shapes? What was different? Well, I went to England for my first album in 78. I went right. there uh, and... Uh, and, it, and things got shifted around. I was originally supposed to record with Dave Evans and Rock Pile. Right. Uh -huh. And 
uh, it, it didn't really work out. So I ended up with the rumor as my band and yes. to the guys from there. And this all had to do with uh, Martin Smith, who was partners with Ed Tickner, knew Dave Robinson and Jake Riviera, who started Stiff Records. So okay. I can't, this will take a long time for me to tell you. But no, anyway, go ahead. Happened, it got me to England. I fell in love, madly in love. And right. um, I made 17 round trips in 1978. Okay. to London, and uh, it became apparent that I probably needed to move there. Yes. <laughs> so I did. And I married Nick Lowe in 79. Right. And, um, and after, and Nick didn't want to produce me. He didn't want to play with me or produce me. I mean, he would play on a, a record or he'd sing on it or something, but he didn't want to do it. He right. said, I don't want to be one of those guys that just... Uh, is the producer behind the wife or whatever, sure. you know. And, yeah. but I knew that Rockpile were the people I was, I went there to record with. I knew right. that that was the sound I wanted to yes. make. And it wasn't that I didn't like the sound I made on with the rumor or the, the record I made in New York was, uh, was. Uh, now I lost you. What are you, what are you saying? I don't hear you now. There we go. There we go. Okay, there we go. Okay. Um, it was more controlled by the label. They they were like you. I, I had met with a bunch of different people to produce me. One was Rick Danko. Uh, one was Mick Ronson and um, um, what's his name from the Motha Hoople? Um, Ian Hunter. Oh yes. I'd met with these different guys that I thought were great, and I wanted right. to work with them. Because I wanted to, to try and fuse my energy right. by having a rock band play country music. Back with Carlene after a minute. Dale Wiley Show and MissouriMusicPodcast.com. And please make sure to check us out on YouTube. Do you love music? Do you know about the musical map of Missouri? Dallas Wayne, Chuck Berry, Dave Alvin, Robbie Folks, The Skeletons, The Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Uncle Tupelo, Wayne Carson, Nellie, Lou Whitney, Symptoms Morell, Kansas City, Just City, St. Louis, St. Joe, Columbia, Buckle of the Bible Belt, the Studio on South Avenue in Springfield, 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 Missouri. Add the Missouri Music Podcast to your list of favorites. Lawyer, author, and Slewfoot Records label owner Dale Wiley takes you on a musical trip around Missouri while raising funds for Musical Map of Missouri, a nonprofit organization which will help ensure Missouri musicians affected by COVID-19. Visit MissouriMusicPodcast.com for more information. Tune in to the Missouri Music Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Way more fun with Carlene Carter, Dale Wiley Show, and Missouri Music Podcast.com, and also now on YouTube. And I, I didn't want to be bound by fences or categories. Right. So when I made Musical Shapes, I made the record that I had heard in my head. Absolutely. And I had nothing to do with how it came out. They instinctively knew what. I wanted by the songs that I had written. So finally, the guys, Dave Edmonds, Terry Williams, and Billy Bremner from Rockpile, got on Nick and said, "We can't let her go back to New York and do a record because <laughs> bloody Yanks, you know, <laughs> she's not going to stay here, you know. You, 
get it, you know, stop being ridiculous. Come on. Right. And so he finally <laughs> agreed and his manager, Jake, agreed too. And uh, so that that's how we ended up making that. And that was a really fun record to make because basically we recorded it with bass, drums, and two acoustic guitars. And I sang live and the, then they overdubbed electric guitars. So it was a very simple recording for the most part. There was a couple of songs that were from older uh, recordings that I had done with Nick, but that made it on that record. The Ring of Fire one was yes. done with Clover. Electronic. Clover. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, tell me about was Elvis Castillo around or who else was around? Oh, yeah. Elvis was around <laughs> a lot. And I, I will say this about Elvis is that he is such a strong personality and such an amazingly smart and creative guy. Okay. And he's He's really knows a lot about a lot of different things, but you want to right. sit down and try and write a song with Elvis. For me, I was like, I tried to write a song with Elvis. Me and Nick did one night. I think that they may have written something over the years, but I, I couldn't keep up with him. He was going really? so fast. He was wow. Like, and I was like, wow. But it was an exciting time because he was hitting and Nick was producing everybody that was coming out of that, that time. And, so I got to meet a lot of different people. And one of the, the things I loved about starting out in London was that they, they had no um, genre segregation. Right. It's like, just because I was an American and just because I was uh, Carter. from the Carter family didn't yes. mean that I had to sound like that. And right. it also didn't mean that they wouldn't play me on the radio right after the clash because they did. Right. So that was really neat, you know, um, uh, yeah, so it was great to go there. It gave me a lot of musical freedom, creative freedom, and uh, Warner Brothers were wonderful to me. And finally, I had the good sense to know after my fifth album was an electronic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was like, okay, it was fun and it was cool and I had a good time. I loved just making stuff up and it was really, right. it was really neat. The guys, the band that I was working with were called Blanket of Secrecy. Uh -huh. And um, they were great. And I I had the good sense to go, I need to do something different. So I, I went and I was asked to become, I was asked to audition for a part in Pump Boys and Dinettes. Mm -hmm. And- Were you singing with Kiki D? Kiki D, that's right. And Paul <laughs> Jones was the lead guy in it. All right. From Man for Man. And um, so I had always wanted to do Broadway. Uh -huh. And my whole life, I wanted to be a, uh, I wanted to be in a musical. That's right. and and all of a sudden I'm in the West End in the Piccadilly Theater doing a musical and singing with one of my vocal heroes, Kiki D, wow. who was an awesome person. Everybody in the cast were great. We uh -huh. partied our butts off. We were all having a great old time. And right. there's a lot of dancing after the show. <laughs> I'm sure there was. Yeah. So it was good times. And then I it was after that I went in the studio one more time to try and see where I was heading. And I just went, you know what? This is just same old shit. It's not, this is not going to work. I need to go back to my roots. And I went and joined up with mom and Helen and Anita. Yes. And did that for two years. And that was the hardest job I ever left because it was so nice to be with my family. I huh. left home at really, really young. And I left home right before I turned 16. And I just needed to be with my mom and my aunts who all raised me, you know? Right. 
and it was the great that was really great i had i covered at nita's parts when she was sick i covered at mm -hmm. helen when she was sick um helen hardly ever got sick mama and mama did a few times and i would be june <laughs> so i'd seen jackson with john which was so bizarre but it, yes. was, but it was also really neat and mm -hmm. um yeah, so that we went, we two started, I started out, wormed my way back in is what I did. They were in Europe <laughs> and I, and me and my girlfriends, we just got on the train and went to see them. And then we just stayed out with them. Right. And it was fun. And then I, when I came back to America, I knew it was time to come home. And, um, and that's what I did. And I lived right down the street from where I live now. That's uh, and I was born right down the street from where I live now. So I've come, people used to say, oh, she's come full circle. Well, I really have come full circle. <laughs> you had a big a circle. from the house I was born <laughs> in. Well, yeah. before we go any further, though, well, let's talk about your mom's co-writer with one Ring of Fire, Merle, Merle. Kilgore. I just Kilgore. think he is so funny, such a character. So tell the world about him. He was a larger than life character. And he sure was, was, and so funny, so and funny. really, really funny. I mean, I, I grew <laughs> up around Merle Kilgore. Uh, that's enough to like say that you have had one broad life, right. <laughs> because his personality was so awesome. So I understand why he and Mom were drawn together to be creative right. together. They were great friends. He was really good friends with Big John, right? And um, Mom said. The night that she, I remember this night when she had written Ring of Fire and John had decided to record it. Uh, it was after my Aunt Nita had recorded it. Right. And, uh, but I think that was it. I think that was it. But at any rate, mom made this whole ceremony about giving Merle half of the song. Right. Now there's, that I, that I remember that, and there That's was people that, that I asked later. I said, "Did that really happen, or am I just imagining that?" And uh -huh. um, guy that I that I knew back in the day is he said I was there that night. I was dating this girl that used to stay with my grandma, and mm -hmm. you know all these weird connection stuff. But Kilgore was like, he was a soft place to land. If you were ever in any kind of situation, I would. I would want Merle Kilgore's number. I mean, who else could have handled Hank Jr.? <laughs> My gosh. And then I was on tour with Hank Jr., so I got to see Merle a lot. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and also, let's also talk about Anita Carter and how wonderful a singer she was and the duet she did with Waylon. Let's talk about that. Just well, I, I went back. I used to love, I mean, that was my introduction to Waylon. Um, his right. music. I knew Waylon because he was roommates with John for a while, and we had yes. a few pit stops at the apartment uh, uh -huh. for various reasons. <laughs> we weren't really clear on what was happening, but Mom didn't get over there. <laughs> There's something was happening, and anyway, yes. so I loved Waylon's voice, and yes. and he was he so incredibly handsome, and he and Anita just were so striking together. But their voices right. were. I mean, anyone that sang with my Aunt Nita, she made them look good. Right, absolutely. You take Waylon, who is incredibly good, right. and you put him with Aunt Nita, it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't remember all the titles. And not that long ago, I did, I did a, an interview about 
Waylon, and I wanted to talk about Magnetus. I actually went back and looked at the songs that I remember listening to, but I can't remember the titles now. My brain has become mush during the pandemic. <laughs> well, that's so funny. Zero, zero up in here. That's totally fine. And so actually now let's talk about the pandemic and how has that affected you? Well, I... I was really hitting a stride in March when when we went into lockdown. I had been touring and I'd had the, the greatest start to the year. And I was looking for, I was coming home with my two of my guys that I do a trio with. And we really had played our asses off. It was just extra special. So we were we were jazzed to go in the studio. We were jazzed to take some of my new songs and, and start working on stuff and, and just get in there and start collaborating together. Right. And we were also like wanting to put, to, I have this idea for a show that I'm going to be doing, but it's right. obviously not happening now. Um, but we were going to go to work and all of a sudden, you know, I get home on March 9th and it's, it's, it's over. We were in Oregon and we flew out of Seattle airport at one point, all when everything was really hitting there. Uh, and we were in Sun Valley and Sun Valley had no cases when we were there. And then a week after we left there, it was huge. Mm -hmm. And so dogs are barking. So <laughs> <It's really fine. laughs> and, um, and it's been, it's been different because I live alone and I mm -hmm. also was going, I've been separated from my husband for, um, a couple of years at that time. So I, I was, you know, people were saying, you don't want to get a divorce during a pandemic. And I'm like, but, <laughs> but, but you don't understand. I, I re it's not that I'm just dying to get a divorce, but this just can't linger on, you know. It's right. sure. do it. Anyway, so that, I, I did that. That was a big deal. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I went to Florida with my, one of my great songwriting friends, Karen Brooks. Do you remember mm -hmm. her from, she, Really I don't know the name. She was on Warner Brothers and she's won a Grammy and um, wow. yeah, she was really good. She still is great. She, we're still really good friends. Her and I went down to Florida and hung out in this little fishing town called Carabell, Florida wow. in June because we thought things were getting better and they were and there were no wow. cases in Carabell. We right. found a place where there were no cases. Wow. And uh, we went there and we should have stayed there, but a hurricane <laughs> coming. Hurricanes came and ran me out of there. And uh, <laughs> so I, I came home. I had all the dogs with me and and Karen. And we, you know, I haven't been really creating a whole lot. I've been doing special things from time to time, uh, but very far and few between. It's been a time for me to sit still for the first time in my life. I've right. never, the longest I've ever stayed in a town was when I did Punk Boys and Dinettes was for 13 months straight. And uh, then I left, <laughs> I left there and was gone for two months. I was like, what? But that's kind of how it's been, for me, it's been uh, learning to sit with myself and not feel like I have to get ready to go somewhere because right. this is the first time I've actually un completely unpacked my suitcases. It was always in rotation because I was always coming home and I would take all the dirty clothes out, take things to the cleaners, and then I would revamp my, my packing, but I would never put my suitcases away. Well, I did that and I, I was reluctant about it at first because I thought if I do that, then we're never gonna go back to work ever. 
And uh. and I, the, the hardest thing for me has been the um, getting used to not ha being able to go out. And it's bad here. I don't yeah. know. I'm sure it's bad where you are. Are you in California? Yes. No, I'm in Missouri. Oh, you're in Missouri. Here. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been scary. And so I've had this pod of people. There's a, just like a little group of us that have stayed as safe as we possibly can. None of us have gotten sick. All those things. No one's had COVID. And so we try at least a couple of times a month to do something, not all together, but get together with a few of us. And then we'll Zoom and I... You know, it's just I have to have a little bit of right. human contact. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I went on a trip to Montana in September okay. when things were not so bad. Right. And I had a wonderful time there. I was in the mountains and well, I was in the Bitterroot Valley and I loved it. And I got to ride horses. I got to go fishing. I learned how to fly fish a little bit. And um, <laughs> so that's all I've done. And I. You know, they had the uh, the thing where they musicians came into the Country Music Hall of Fame and we right. took out instruments and I got to play I my loved that. guitar. With it wasn't good. The L5. Tell me about that, that guitar. Wow. It was, <laughs> I, I, when Marty said to me, when, when I first picked it up, he said, it just kind of plays itself, doesn't it? And I said, I said, you know what it does? I said, I don't remember it. It seemed, I always remember it being hard to play and really big. And uh -huh. I went, shit, I was a kid. Right. Last time I was really <laughs> playing that guitar, you know, I just, that was my memory of it, was that it was too big for me and my hands and it was hard to play. Right. And now it, we didn't practice at all. That was one of the things. Really? We had never sang that song together like that and we had never played together like that right. we just started we just did it and they recorded it and then we did it one more time just in case uh -huh. and so all of the emotion of it was right there and i was yes. this close to losing my shit i was <laughs> i was about to uh I, I didn't know whether to, to laugh hysterically or cry my eyes out right. or fall into a heaping puddle of weeping and, <laughs> or, or pray hallelujah you know it's just all over the place behind yes. this and trying to play and sing and right. um there it was one of the most moving experiences of my life and looking yeah. at marty right across from me was, holding his hand as we walked in together it's like we came up together we've known each other very very he's, long time he's right in that in that whole cash connection too so he was involved yeah in he was my brother-in-law i've exactly. got brothers-in-laws <laughs> Rodney Crowell was my brother-in-law and um, yeah. Mark Stewart and um, Jack Ruth that I was married to was actually my brother-in-law too. <laughs> it worked for I've only got a couple more things that I've got to make sure I ask you about because my dad was such an amazingly big Johnny Cash fan. And so much of the stuff that I know about this stuff is because I, he was not just a Johnny Cash fan. He was a mid-60s you know, he was in everything. He knew all things all the time. And that's why I know so much about this stuff. And so tell me about Johnny. Oh, wow. He was, he was such a good daddy. Right. Okay. All of us. And, and he took Rosie and I 
and treated us like we were his very own girls. Really? Okay. And, yeah. And because he had known us most of our lives. Right. All of I didn't really remember not knowing him. And I, but he was kept at bay during the day, back in the day when mom sure. was uh, <laughs> trying to help him get clean and stuff. Right. And when all, everything went down, we, we didn't have a second thought about leaving our home that we lived in our whole lives and moving to out to the lake with John right. because mm -hmm. it made mom happy. Uh -huh. um, he was one of the most well-read men ever. And right. in every aspect, um, he was like a, uh, he and my granddaddy were really into studying the Bible and right. uh, theology and he, and he loved music. He knew the words to more songs than him and Aunt Helen. They both knew the most songs really? of anyone I've ever met in my life. John was great about when we started going out um, as young, young teenage girls that were, they were putting on stage, Roseanne and Rosie and uh -huh. me, um, he would spend hours on the bus uh, playing us songs and teaching us chords and teaching us uh, turning us on to songwriters, and that's that's the thing about the, about John was he was a true. He loved creativity. It didn't right. matter what it was. He he loved yes. cooking. He loved making stuff. He he was always uh, um, doing something in his mind. He was a busy-minded man, um, right. and he loved the hell out of my mama. <laughs> and he loved his daughters and he loved us and John Carter. And when John Carter came along, I mean, oh my gosh, it was like, can you dress him up a little bit more like Lord Fauntleroy? <laughs> he was like, look at some of the outfits they used to put me in later housing. We'd go to Germany and John Carter dressed like this little German kid. <laughs> it was like Sound of Music. Well, I love that new movie that was made on YouTube about the, the obviously John Carter had some involvement with the gift. gift. So wonderful. Isn't that's it great? Him. And especially, I've seen so many things, and that's so, so cool. And so now going back, the one last question I have to ask you is, why is Blue Nun not available on Spotify? Because uh, the label did not think it was worth releasing in america it was only released oh, outside of america because it's the best it's the best carlene carter album this never i found it it really is it's got it's, some great stuff on it I it's love so good it's 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 musical shapes times too it's so good and i want to get it out there i mean it's one of these things that i can't believe i got out there and i just realized that it's not on there it's not, I can't get it. I can't download it. I, I've got it on vinyl somewhere around here. Right. No, I don't even have it on vinyl in here. <laughs> but it's so good. And that's the thing I Thank saw. I, I got it in um, in a Tower Record store in Washington, D.C. And I was so into I loved these little shapes so much. And I saw this thing. And it was like a two-star, you know, two, two CDs on one song. Or one, the two you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, they did put that out. They released that on some random label, I think. Yeah, out of out of the Dutch Indies or something like that. Yeah, no, just to that, that because it's it out. so wonderful. It's not here in America. My gosh, that is such a travesty. 
I think we could probably campaign for it, maybe. Well, I think we're going to. That's what I'm going to do when I, I get out. I would say I would go back podcast. in and re-record it, but my voice has changed so much. No, no, no. We, nothing. It's just it such would not be the same. Yes, it's just so full of energy and so so vital. I just love that album so much. Well, it was very much live. We we worked those songs up and we played. That was the band that I had at that time. And uh -huh. it wasn't very long after that that Nick took my band. <laughs> Bobby Irwin and James Eller and Paul Carrick and Martin Belmont. Uh, Paul we kind of like we swapped out cool. bands sometimes after he left Rockpile. So anyway, I just had the best time talking to you. And thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. Thank you very much for asking me. And I'm glad I could do it. Dale Wiley Show and MissouriMusicPodcast.com. The Missouri Music Map is coming very soon. All of this is available on YouTube as well.